It is a, something that physically happened, but it has a spiritual application for you and I, and then it has a futuristic, uh, prophetic implication to it as well. Now, Israel had been delivered, and they were, uh, and you know the story, Pharaoh was going through the land, he was doing his thing, Israel was, was, was waiting for, the, for freedom, Moses rose up. If you look at verses 4 and 5, it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, even the holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth year, the first month, at even is the Lord's Passover. Fourteenth day of the first month. Now that's going to be significant as we get in here a little further. If you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Everybody are, got your fingers nibble, right? To get through the Word of God a little bit. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And you'll, you know, you'll wonder what the connection is here. Well, I'm going to show you a deep connection, and it's very interesting, and it's very powerful what takes place here uh, in, in Daniel that has significance with the Passover feast. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, and to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most high. God is telling them here, I'm putting together a plan. It's going to take 70 weeks. Now, I need to explain to you that 70 weeks is not what we would necessarily think of week. That word week there is, is Shaboah in the Hebrew, which basically means a period of sevens, or seven. And, and the uh, translators uh, use the word weeks to explain that. But this isn't physical weeks. It's talking about weeks of years. So seven years for a uh, week. And so he's saying here, I'm putting together a plan. It's going to take 77s to bring this plan to fruition. Stay with me? Yeah. All right. And through this plan, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be an end to sin. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? An end to sin. God is putting together a plan to bring an end to sin. A reconciliation of fallen man and the righteousness of God. To bring those two together. To usher in eternal righteousness. And to call it finished. As Jesus did on the cross. And then recognize God as God forever. He says, I'm putting together a plan. 70 weeks of sevens. Or 70 sevens. Uh, are going to be. Uh, are going to start this thing in motion. And from this. There's going to be an end of sin. There's going to be a reconciliation of God and man. There's going to be uh, the, uh, the, the finished product. It's all going to be done, and God is going to be recognized as God forever. He's talking to who? He says, Daniel, this is upon your people. And if you'll see further in the text, he talks about the Messiah. He talks about the holy city. He's talking to Israel. This is a plan for Israel. This is something directly for them. God's holy people. Seventy weeks are determined, which is 490 years. Seventy-seven. Uh, 490 years. Verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Now you know Israel was fell into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, you know the story, king of Babylon destroyed uh, Jerusalem in 586 B.C. It was That was the beginning of the Gentile, the, the time of the Gentiles. Uh, he took Judah into captivity, and they were captive until Zerubbabel 
started to rebuild the temple, and Ezra started to rebuild temple worship. This was uh, this was until Artaxerxes the king in Nehemiah chapter two. Are you there? How fast are you? <laughs> Very interesting here. Now I'm going to get I'm going to get through the uh, uh, the logistics of it here, or the 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 statistics, if you want to call it, Nehemiah. And it says, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was set before him. And I took up wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? Is this nothing else but the sorrow of heart? Then I was very sore afraid, and I said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? And the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, thou wouldest send me to Judah, and unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also, queen also sitting by him, How long shall the journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him at time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it pleased the king, let governors be let letters be given to me, uh, to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the palace, which pertaineth unto the house for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. The king granted me according to the good hand of my God unto me. Now you remember we just said from the beginning, from the from the word, the command given to rebuild Jerusalem unto Messiah. That's what the, the thing said there. That's what the, the text said. That is a starting point. This was done by Artaxerxes the king, and the year was 445 B.C. In fact, they can trace down the year, the day, and, and, uh, and the month, the, the year, the month, and the day of when that started. And so that 490 years began on the day Artaxerxes gave the order for Jerusalem to be rebuilt. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Now the, the, the prophetic guys that understand that more than me say that is pertaining to the years to actually build it, which was a prediction that was fulfilled according to history, 49 years, seven weeks, seven of sevens, 49 years to build the city. If you look historically, the city was built in 49 years, exactly like Scripture had predicted. Now, this was predicted 150 years before the event took place. Okay, before uh, God was speaking to, uh, uh, took this whole thing in motion. Daniel was 150 years before Artaxerxes gave that order. And so, Daniel chapter 9, verse 26 says that after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off which is 434 years until the cross, according to the Jewish calendar. 434 years. They say, well, when's all this dry stuff going to mean something, preacher? I'm getting there. Bear with me. Seven weeks, 49 years, plus 62 weeks, which is the 434 years, equals 69 weeks, which is 483 years. From Artaxerxes' order to the cross was 483 years. Three years. See, this is all historically um, 
verifiable. Sir Robert Anderson is probably one of the foremost uh, writers on the subject of these years of Daniel and the 70 weeks and, and how it applies. And he says that according to his research, the 69th week ended Sunday before the crucifixion. What we would call Palm Sunday. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a, on a, on a donkey. Now this is what is interesting to me. And see, we have the same we have the tendency to fall in the same way. These people in Israel at that time, that was a very religious society. Israel was very religious. Those Pharisees and Sadducees knew scripture like you wouldn't believe. They, most of them had memorized what we would call the Old Testament. At least they had memorized the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. They knew it from memory. And yet, if they had studied that word and applied it to their heart, they would have realized that the that on that on that very day, on that very day, the tenth day of Nisan, the Messiah would have come on the scene. But they didn't even see it coming. They were oblivious to it. They knew the scriptures, but they hadn't applied the scriptures. You know, it's one thing to know the word of God. It's another thing to live the word of God. So this is the, the feast of Passover. Palm Sunday, the tenth day of Nisan. Back to that day. Right to the very day. Jesus fulfilled prophecy that was given thousands of years before. And could be traced right to the day when they said 434 days from that point. 490 days from this point the Messiah was going to come on the scene. But they didn't even see it. Exodus chapter 12 verse 1. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year unto you, which is the month of Nisan. And in verse 3 it says, Speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, The tenth day of this month, Nisan, they shall take to them every man a lamb. We're back in Egypt. We're back when Israel is in Egypt. This is what God commanded him commanding them. He said, on that tenth day, you take a lamb. You take a lamb on that tenth day. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the tenth day of Nisan, all those <coughs> years later. And that lamb wasn't just any lamb. Verse 6 says uh, that that lamb will be held until the fourteenth day. Well, why did they hold the lamb for four days? They chose the lamb on the tenth and they held it until the fourteenth. Why? Because the lamb had to be perfect. It had to be, verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Now you can picture the, the Israelites as they took that perfect little lamb and they spent four days scrutinizing that lamb. They ran their fingers through its wool. They checked for any imperfection. They looked in its mouth to make sure everything was right. Every tooth was in place. There wasn't a broken bone. There wasn't a mar. There wasn't a scratch. Everything on that lamb was perfect. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the same exact day all those years later. And for four days he was interrogated. And four days he was scrutinized. He was watched. He was looked at. And finally Pilate had to raise his hands and say, I find no evil in this man. There is nothing wrong. There is no sin. There's nothing wrong with this lamb. It's the perfect lamb. Jesus Christ fulfilled that. We celebrate what we call Good Friday, but in reality it was more like Thursday. Uh, and, and 
if you've ever heard the really contorted hard time they have twisting three days into Friday to Sunday, you understand that doesn't really work. No matter whether you look at the Jewish calendar or not, it still doesn't work. The, 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 the good Friday should probably be good Thursday. Jesus was scrutinized for four days, and they kept it up until the, the fourth day, and the whole, the whole assembly, verse 6 says, of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. It wasn't the ungodly that killed Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't the heathen that killed Jesus. It wasn't the, the, the pagan that killed Jesus. It was God's people that killed Jesus. It was the Jews. The whole assembly killed that lamb. That blood was shed by God's people. And I think I was talking to Gary this week, I believe it was, and, I, and we were talking about God doesn't judge a nation based on what the ungodly do. Now let me say that, clarify that. Eventually judgment will fall on any ungodly nation. But we have ungodly nations that have been here for thousands of years. China's still here. You know, they, they've never had our success, they've never had our prosperity, but they're still here. They've always been a heathen nation. Russia's still here. You can go through the nations that are still here, being ungodly and vile, but let God's nation turn their back on God and see how long that lasts. And I believe that the United States is one of two covenant nations. This is my belief. I can't take you to scripture. This is my belief. I believe that America was raised up as a covenant nation. I believe that God raised up Israel as a covenant nation. The word of God bears that out. But God established a nation that would hold the banner of Jesus Christ. More missionaries have come out of the United States than every other nation combined. The, the prosperity of the world that the world has experienced for the most part has come from the United States. We have been a blessed nation. Why? Because we founded this nation on the principles of God's holy word. These people were looking for a place to come and worship freely, and so they came to the new world, and they and they suffered greatly to establish this nation as a covenant nation to God. They said, this is your nation, Lord. This is your nation. They tried their best to tr convince us that this was a secular nation in the, in the beginning. I don't know what they're reading. Now, some of those men were secularists, but most of them very much proclaimed the God that we serve, and the ones that were secular still gave Deference to the God that we serve. We look at this. God brings judgment quickly on a nation that is his nation. And I believe that, that we are looking at that. But we have the lamb. We have the lamb killed. We have the blood shed. But is that good enough? Is it good enough to know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Is it good enough to know and recognize and acknowledge that he died on a cross and shed his blood? Is it good enough to, to say that, yep, he, I believe, I believe, I have faith, I believe in my God. But you know, you can almost picture in Israel as God said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take the blood of that spotless lamb after it's been killed and you're going you're gonna to splash it, you're going you're gonna, to uh, throw it on the, on the side post and on the center post of the doorway of your house. You're going to do that. You can almost picture that there had to be some stubborn Jew in there who said, I don't know about all that. I, you know, everybody's watching me, so I went ahead and killed the lamb. I went ahead and made sure it was a spotless lamb, and I went ahead and killed it. But that whole splashing it on the doorpost and stuff, the wife's not going to like that. And, uh, you know, She's not going to be too happy about me splashing blood around the house. I, I don't think we'll do that. 
and you can almost picture somebody failing to splash the blood where the blood needs to be. There are people filling churches today who believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that he is the Messiah. They believe in salvation. They believe in all that, but the blood has never been applied. They have never truly had the blood applied to their life. It's all intellectual. It's not heart. It's all in the brain. They know it. They can quote it. They can they can say all the Bible verses that they've heard the preacher say. They remember Sunday school and they remember the story of Noah and the ark and they remember all that. But the blood has never been applied. It's never been splashed on the doorpost so that every time they walk in and out of their house, they're walking under the blood of a spotless lamb. Every time they walk in and out, everywhere they go, they're under the blood of that spotless lamb. It has to be applied. You can't just believe it. You can't just know it. You say, well, the Bible says all you have to do is believe. That's right. That's one verse. <laughs> you got to read all of them. Where it talks about repentance, where it talks about surrender, it talks about death to the flesh, it talks about totally dying to self. It talks about putting your hand to the plow and never looking back. Folks, it's, not, it's one thing to just say, I believe it. I believe it. I got lots of people in my family that believe it. But the blood has never been applied. That blood had to be applied before that home in Israel was, or in Egypt was safe. It had to be applied. It couldn't just be there. That blood is a total covering, an absolute covering. Without that blood, you're still in sin, folks. Without that blood, you're still a sinner bound for hell. But by the blood of the Lamb, applied to the post, when it, when it covers everything you do, you are set free. You are free of sin. You are free of death. You are no longer bound to that thing called death. See, this is why Jesus is the only way of salvation. Some of these modern preachers, some of the most popular modern preachers there are today, talk about, oh, there are several ways to get in. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you serve Islam. It doesn't matter if you serve this one or that one. Let me tell you something. That's called a heretic. It's called a false heretic prophet. He's a liar. Because there's only one way to salvation and that is by the blood of the spotless lamb. And that blood has to be applied because there's no other way to have your sins put away. And there's no way to enter the kingdom of God with sin. Sin will not enter the kingdom of God, but you can't live righteous enough, folks. You're sinners. I hate to break it to you, but you're a sinner. Without that blood, that blood is what purifies it and makes it clean. Hallelujah! A.W. Tozer said, only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us. Yet if we will pull ourselves from that blood, we will be unclean forever. Then he tells us later, told the Israelites, he said, you will eat it all. Every bit of it. You can look down through the text there in, in Exodus and see it. He said, you will eat every bit of that lamb. That lamb was placed on the table, and it didn't matter if it was the innards or the outers. You ate it. That's what it says. <laughs> you will devour every bit of it. Oh, I'm telling you folks, when you get into the Word of God, Jesus is the Word. Amen? Jesus is that Word, and He's telling them, you will eat the lamb. Jesus stood before his disciples and many others, and he said, if you will not eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they went, oh, you disgusting person. And scripture says that many of them did not follow him after that. That goes right back. What he was saying goes right back to what is going on at Passover when he said, when they said, you will eat every bit of that lamb. You will devour it. 
When you get into this book, you will find things. And uh, I probably mentioned before, this lady I know, she had a highlighter. And she said, oh, I just go through and I highlight all the things that I like and I ignore the rest of it. <laughs> what? What? You know what? Probably the most life-giving stuff in the whole world is the part that she was ignoring. You can't do that. Because some of this word is going to taste like sweet honey. Yeah, oh my goodness, look at that. The Lord is blessing me. The Lord is going to give me peace and joy. He is ordering my stuff. He's doing all praise God. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Praise the Lord. I love it. It makes it feel so good. But then you get into some other verses and it just makes you go, oh, wait a minute here. You want me to do what? You won't let me do what? But I want to do that, God. I want that in my life. See, when we hold on to something, we're not eating the whole lamp. Oh, you give me a little bit of that backstrap. Back to that one fella, you know, who won't splash the blood. He's probably the one who laid the lamb out. So give me some of that backstrap, and I'm not eating the rest of that. Oh, yeah, give me some of them lamb chops there. That looks really good. I'll take that. But I don't want any of those innards. <laughs> I don't want the entry. I don't want any of that. That scripture says you had to eat. This word of God, some of it is offensive. I'll guarantee you, you get into the Bible and you study it, you're going to get offended sometimes. You know, it's kind of like when you get to that story and they're moving the Ark of the Covenant and everybody's shouting happy and wonderful, oh, this is praise the Lord, and then that Ark moves a little bit and the guy goes, oh, it's about to fall, and he grabs it and he shoves it back up there and God's acting dead. Anybody read that and say, wait a minute, God. <laughs> <laughs> or am I the only one who did that? Come on, God. He was just trying to help. Let me tell you about God doesn't need your help. <laughs> he needs your obedience. Amen. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Word of God tells us. Every bit of that lamb had to be eaten, or if you didn't have a big enough stomach, it had to be burned. Get rid of it. It's done. That thing had to be filling them. That spotless lamb. But you know what he also said? He said you had to be ready to leave. Mm. You know, I can stop right there. As you're eating that lamb, you need to be ready to leave. This is not your home. I said we love the United States. I, I believe that. I made an oath to this country 30-some years ago. I would stand by that oath today. But this is not my home. Egypt was not their home. God had a home for them. It's called the promised land. He said, you're not going to stay in Egypt. I won't let you stay in Egypt. That's not your place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move your enemies out of the way. Just give me a night here and I'll slaughter a whole bunch of them and take them turn around. But you don't plan on staying here. we got a lot of Christians who like it in Egypt. They're comfortable in Egypt. It's, and you see it in the children of Israel as they got out in the wilderness and things got a little tough. It was okay. We got leading the way, man. We got a pillar of fire by day, a, a pillar of a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. This is wonderful. God's leading us. This is awesome. Wait a minute. I'm thirsty. Why don't we just go back to Egypt? 
Wait a minute, I'm hungry, my stomach's growling, and God just brought us out here to starve us to death. Why don't I just go back to Egypt? We feel comfortable in that bondage that we are in. Goes back to that splashing the blood on the doorposts, covering everything we do, eating the whole land. Sometimes we don't want to let go. Sometimes we don't want to let go of something in there. If God has everything but our tongue, he doesn't have everything. If God has everything but our temper, he doesn't have everything. If he has everything but our liquor cabinet, he doesn't have everything. If he has everything but our cigarettes, and I know I can go on all day here. I've been preaching to me sometimes in there. Don't try to reject which ones I was talking about. about me. <laughs> I don't drink. All of us fight that thing. That one part of the lamb that we don't want to eat. We fight with it. Hebrews calls that a besetting sin. Anybody else fight with a besetting sin or is that just me? <laughs> <laughs> that thing we fight. But you know what? He said, eat it all and be ready to leave. Don't plan on staying in Egypt. When God saves you, you're saved, right? God saves you. He tells you to get ready to go. The trumpet is going to sound. It doesn't matter if you're pre-trip, mid-trip, pre-wrath, post-trip, or pan-trip. It doesn't really matter. The trumpet is going to sound. And the Lord is going to take his children home. He said, don't be planning to stay in Egypt. Don't plan on staying in that sin. Right now, he says, it's time to come out of Egypt and get in the wilderness. Wait a minute, I don't want to go in the wilderness. It didn't matter. He didn't ask Israel if they wanted to go in the wilderness. He led them into the wilderness. We are in the wilderness. The promised land is just a little ways off. It's just a little ways off. We have hardships. We have trials. We have difficulties in that in that wilderness. But you know what? They always had food to eat. They always had clothes on their back. You notice that? Their, their clothes never wore out. My clothes wear out. But you know what? He always provides clothes. Haven't gone naked yet. Much to your benefit. <laughs> I've never gone without food yet. Not so good to my benefit. But God provides for you while you're in that wilderness. If you're ready to go. You can't stay in Egypt. If you're comfortable in Egypt, it's time to step out of Egypt today. Get out of there. Today is the day of salvation. I want you to pray. And then, as we're praying... I want this to be a time of church repentance. We as a church, I'm not going to ask you. It's not my business. I'm not going to ask you, but I guarantee there's something you need to repent of. I want us to walk out of here a clean people today. A clean people. You can come up here to our beautiful makeshift altar. You can pray in your seat. You can come up front. I don't care what you want to do. I want you to ask God to examine your heart today. Because it's the day of Passover. Hey, well, that's in March. Eh, it doesn't matter. Passover's every day. <laughs> every day we got to walk under that blood. Every day. And eat all that lamb. Pray. Father, hallelujah. Lord, the, the wonder of your word is incredible to me. That how anybody can ever doubt your word when we have such amazing, fulfilled prophecies. 
given hundreds of years apart, Lord, from the actual event that we see your hand at work. God, you have a spiritual application for this thing. It isn't just Israel in, the, in, the, in Egypt and coming out of there, wandering in the wilderness and going into the promised land. Lord, it's not just that. Because that story has an application for me today. I'm living that same story every day, God. I was in Egypt. I was in Egypt. But one day, Lord, that lamb was slaughtered. And one day, I devoured that lamb. And one day, I splashed the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of my life. And the blood of Jesus Christ has covered me ever since. I praise you for that. Hallelujah. The Lord, I struggle. I battle this flesh. The enemy of my soul comes against me. And Lord, I, sometimes I don't win every victory. But Lord, you've already won the victory. I come before you on behalf of this church, Lord, this body of believers and myself. We repent before you, God, as a congregation, as a people, Lord, we repent for the times that we have said things behind someone's back that shouldn't have been said. The times that we have gotten angry with the brother that we should not have gotten angry for. The times that we have held a grudge. Times that we have mistreated our family. Times that we have found ourselves falling into an addiction again and again and again. God, we, I can go down the list forever, Lord. You know our hearts. You know the heart of your people. You know what every single one of us is battling with. Lord, I'm praying right now that the blood of that precious spotless lamb will pour over every single one here. God, let us be right in your sight. Let us be right. Let us be pure. God, let us not have one part of that lamb that we won't devour, Lord. Let us devour every single Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 